What up, what up, what up, everybody? This is the Dr. Football Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Dennis Tian, recording from my real live medical office in Dedham, Massachusetts. Joining me as always, the CEO of Hedgebetter himself from the Hedgebetter studio in Braintree, Mass, Justin Fine. Justin, my man, what is going on? Oh, you not much without football. It's uh, the first weekend, right? First weekend post Super Bowl. I gotta say, it was funny. I was running errands uh, with Delissa the other day, and I was like, "It's it's so crazy what a Sunday feels like when there's no football to uh, to bog you down. All the all the stuff you can you can get done and and carve out in the day. Kind of uh, kind of crazy. Yeah. yeah, not only no football, but just like really a really downtime on like the sports calendar. Like this is yeah. probably one of the, the driest parts of the sports calendar. I think the only other one I can think of that's like as bad is um, the 4th of July and the Major League All-Star game week. But yeah. that's July. And there's like a billion things to do in July, like independent of sports. Like now it's February. The weather is still shit. And um, there's absolutely nothing to watch on sports. So it's like a super dry time of year. Yeah, very dry. NBA All-Star Game was a flop. Dunk Contest was a flop. Super uh, super yeah. tough time for sports fans. My, my wife and I were arguing, not arguing, we were talking the other night about like if you had a month draft, would February be the last pick in the month draft? And I said yes. Yeah, probably, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's it, it, totally up there, yeah. I mean, January, the weather is actually a little worse. It's a little sunnier in February, but at least there's football. And there is nothing sports-wise in January. Right. So was, I mean, February. So it's like, I, I think I think I'd have to go February the last month of the draft. 100%. Easily the worst. It's, and, and to me, too, it's like January. You got New worst. Year's. You're right off the Christmas buzz. It's like, you know, it's it's still right. it's still kind of a nice, nice month. February, it's just like, what are we doing? What are we doing here? Yeah. It, it's it, like winter's getting long and you're like, yeah. okay, February's almost over, but it's still 12 degrees and snowy out. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. yeah, it's, it's, it's absolute pits, pits of the air, dreariest part of the year for sure. So we're almost done with it though. Cause we're, we're like two thirds of the way through. So that's the good news. All right, well, let, let's get to it. We got a lot to talk about. We got a great episode planned of the Dr. Football podcast tonight. Um, we're going to focus on the Patriots mostly with uh, the episode tonight, because last episode, we really only talked about the Super Bowl. We barely even mentioned all the things that have happened in Foxborough over the last few weeks. So we're going to get into um, Belichick not, not getting hired. It's a huge thing. But the whole coaching staff being filled out, um, you know, some some of the things that's going on with Kraft and the ownership and then some of the offseason stuff and the start to the offseason. But before we get to any of that, I do want to talk a little bit about um, the kickoff um the dynasty documentary that got released this weekend. I know you actually haven't seen it yet, so you get it failed for not doing your homework assignment this week, Justin, <laughs> but, um, but, but I think everyone should watch that. Every Patriots fan should watch it because they'll, they'll really enjoy it. And I think there's a, there, there's a whole generation of, of football fans. And I, I would include you for people, your age, all the way up to people, our father's ages, right. The older guys that like, literally some of the best memories of their adult life involved the Patriots yeah. and this like amazing run that they've gone on. And the best part of the dynasty documentary is just kind of this trip down memory lane. And for people in your age group, Justin, it might even be a little bit of like a history lesson because you were like eight years old when this was happening or seven years old. So you probably don't remember a lot of the stuff for the 2001 season and just like how crazy uh, and, and, and dramatic that season really was for a lot of reasons. But um, 
I think one of the things that makes that documentary relevant right now, as I watch the first two episodes, is that there is this Belichick narrative out there that we've talked about a few times on the podcast that it is all Tom Brady, right? Right. That Bill Belichick was as much a bystander to the dynasty as like some guy sitting up in the stands. He just happened to luck into Tom Brady. And to me, I watched this documentary and it really solidifies home the idea that Bill Belichick did a huge, did an amazingly terrific job at the beginning of this thing, getting it off the ground. It really is a microcosm for all the things that Bill Belichick did right at the start of this dynasty that I think people either forget about or just don't even know because they were too little to remember it because it was 24 years ago. But the reality is like, you know, sticking with Brady over Bledsoe, I'm sorry, that was a tough decision. Now, I think for Belichick, it was probably an easy choice in hindsight. But at the time, I don't care what anyone says. It was super controversial. Okay, a lot of people want Bledsoe to play. A lot of people in the organization. There's no way around that. Anyone that says otherwise is completely misremembering history. There was a, especially in like October, November, Bledsoe had a ton of support. People wanted Bledsoe to play. And it was, it was controversial for Belichick to stick with Bledsoe. That was a tough decision. But it also brings to mind some of the other things that Belichick did right at the start of the dynasty. 23 free agents in 2001, the 2001 NFL draft. The bottom line take home message here, Justin, is that Bill Belichick, the coach and the GM were both math at the start of this whole dynasty. And then, you know, people today, we go back on the last four years, anyone that listened to this podcast knows I was an outspoken critic of Bill Belichick the last few years. I think I was at the forefront of saying it's probably time to move on. The, the, the reality is, like, let's not forget that for like 15, 16, 17 years, Bill Belichick was right about almost everything he did. He was literally a masterful coach. He was a masterful GM. And that it is just completely revisionist history. You have to ignore a ton of facts to come in and say at this point that Brady carried Belichick to the dynasty. Yeah, you know, we've we've been hearing this a lot and a lot more lately, right? I think, look, there's obviously a lot of recency bias that's that's coming into play. Like like we talked about it for for years. Uh, first off, I, you know, I can say that I remember the first, you know, the Super Bowl in 2001, I remember being at your parents' house or I remember us all being there, us all watching the game. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that to me, that was like a very like iconic memory. Like one of like my, like, okay, like that was like a defining moment as a Patriots fan. Like that helped make me a Patriots fan, right? And you think about, you know, now I'm here almost 30 years old and we're, we're not too far removed from from our last Super Bowl and we got to experience, you know, six of them. Um, and, and, and it was it, it was an absolute crazy ride. I mean, to this day, one of my most cherished memories is a video I have that's a, it's a montage of my friends and I, our, our, our reactions throughout the course of the, the Falcon Super Bowl, you know, the first three right. and a half quarters, us all pissing and moaning and, and you know, all, all down. And then our, our reactions for the last quarter and a half. I mean, it's just, it's the stuff like that that you'll you know you'll never recreate right like i know there will never be another falcon super bowl game like you know what i mean like as long as i live we will ne- that we'll never see that again especially out of the patriots so like there's things that i take away from that that i just say hey you know that was a once in a lifetime thing i'm so fortunate i got to experience great memories like you said it would be so remiss and so ignorant 
to try to say that because of what happened the last couple of years, that Bill Belichick wasn't kind of the mastermind leading and orchestrating what we benefited from for over two decades. Like it really, no doubt. you know what I mean? Like the, the recency bias is, is, is obviously there. You can obviously look at what Brady did when he, once he left in, in what Belichick and what the, the Patriots have done since Brady left and you know, what, what's kind of happening right now. And obviously, you know, we, like we talked about, he's it's for now out of the league and doesn't have a job somewhere else. And what does that say about him and how people view him? But when it comes down to it, we were a well-oiled machine. We were lightning in a bottle. It was the perfect combination of the right owner, the right coach, the right franchise quarterback, and the right system. And, you know, to say that Bill Belichick, I get it. Everybody had their role. Everybody played their role. Everything was important. But to say that Bill Belichick wasn't the the puppet master, the maestro, the 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 orchestrator at least for the majority of things that went well here in Foxborough even if that was just allowing the greatest quarterback of all time to be the greatest quarterback of all time and win us those Super Bowls then uh, again I think people are, are are just being foolish they they are and it's like look you know I mean you go back to those early days of the dynasty when you watch this documentary you're gonna see that. We talked about how Belichick kind of conducted a master class in, in, in ruining a young quarterback with Mac Jones. But in 2001, he did a master class in how to develop a young quarterback in yeah. Tom Brady. And everything they did from the way that, that he handled the situation with Drew Bledsoe off the field, the way he handled the media, the, the vote of confidence he put in Brady, which he did not have to do. Okay, he did not have to declare Tom Brady the starter for the rest of the year in um, in, in November, but he did, and that allowed Brady to get the practice reps he needed to develop. It gave Brady the confidence. It created stability, and it effectively ended the controversy, at least in his own locker room. That was a masterful move. Yep. You know, the players on that roster. You go back to that 2000 roster. They were five and eleven, and they were a very lacking roster. He brought in 23 free agents in 2001. Some of those guys ended up being critical pieces of Super Bowl titles. Mike Vrabel, um, David Patton, you know, I could go on um, drafting Richard Seymour over um, David Terrell. Everyone wanted the Patriots to take David Terrell, who was a hot Michigan wide receiver in the 2001 draft. It was super controversial to draft Richard Seymour. Richard Seymour is a Hall of Famer. David Terrell was out of the league in like five years. That was a that was a that was a great decision. I mean, he had made so many great decisions right. at the start of this thing to, to support Brady and get him because Brady was not the GOAT in 2001. He was an above average quarterback with great intangibles. And they were winning with that. And it was great. But Brady didn't really become the GOAT for a year, at least until early, anything like that, until maybe 2002. You know, he led the league in passing touchdowns that year. But he came on. And there was a curve there. There was a developmental curve. And Belichick was the one that orchestrated that. And I think the Dynasty documentary, it shows a great job. It does a great picture into that. Well, you know what? I in in And I've heard a lot of people say it's a great documentary. I got to watch it. Um, but to me, I think like, yes, it, it, I'm sure it does a great job of that. But I think if anybody was just being objective, like any documentary that's looking, searching for some objective truth and just kind of telling it like it is, 
how did you not inevitably stumble across that conclusion? Like all it really is, is it's just laying the facts out there. That's what happened. And you said, you said the key word, which is recency bias, right? Right. And we have a four year run where everything Belichick did was wrong. Right. Like everything you ask people, can Belichick draft? They're going to say no. Right. How about Belichick's first round picks? They're going to say right now he was terrible. Right. Right. You you can, you can go back to 2014 or 15 and he hit on every first round pick he ever made, except for like one or two. He was money in the first round. Like every yeah. guy he took was a good player. At least a good player. And, and and like now you go and you look at the last four drafts and you're like, okay, this has been a disaster. But, you, you know, let's not be influenced by the recency bias issue here. Yeah. It, 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 and, and again, it's exactly what it is. And, you know, it's, it's sad because I think there's a whole generation of, of fans, a whole generation of, of, you know, kids who aren't going to get to appreciate the full glory of Bill Belichick. And part of that is going to be because of this recency bias. Like it, it, you know what I mean? It's like, it's, it, 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 their experience is, is just going to leave a a bad taste. I think in a lot of people's mouths and it's going to be tough trying to explain to, to some kid, you know, who's who's 20 years old right now or 15 years old right now, whatever. Like, yeah, Bill Belichick is one of the greatest coaches of all time. Maybe still the greatest coach of all time. It's just, you really have to look, take everything in its totality. Um, and again, it's a shame that he didn't end on a high note, but that doesn't take anything away from what he did over his tenure. A- absolutely. So, so I have a couple other thoughts about the documentary, but I think I'm going to save them for next week. Maybe next time we record it. Maybe when you, when you watch, um, when you watch a couple of the episodes and there'll be a couple more episodes released that we can go into more detail. Cause yeah. I think there are a lot of things in the documentary that, that are worth, that are worth mentioning. I just want to say one other quick thing about this too, which is like, we're talking about the 2001, 2004 years, but like he rebuilt this team several times in his tenure and he did it successfully every time until the most recent time when he failed. But like, how about the 2010 run there where like that second ebb of the dynasty where like he, he, he pulls Gronk, Edelman, De- Devin McCourty, Donta Hightower. Like I can go on, you know, yeah. that was, that was also a great job of, of building for Bill Belichick. Yeah, he re- he really did rebuild the franchise. And you know what? Yeah, obviously Tom Brady stay, stayed consistent and, 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 and was there. And that was obviously your, your cornerstone to rely on. But it doesn't change the fact that, I mean, we looked at, you know, our, our run of Super Bowls, the first three Super Bowls and the second three Super Bowls, Brady was one of the only holdovers right like can i were there many yep. was there really anybody that not, was yeah not, so, not that i can think it was like a totally different team totally different team so you look at it and you say okay yeah you did obviously you had tom brady but you rebuilt a dynasty twice that was capable of winning three super bowls like that that's ever bottoming out too yeah. like they never like they had a they made the playoffs every year yeah because the, the one thing justin i'll say a hundred percent for sure is that like I don't care how great the quarterback is. And I know that Brady gave them an advantage, but it takes a lot more than a great quarterback to win a Super Bowl. Now, now you can look at like other great quarterbacks historically, like Dan Marino never won anything. John Elway didn't win until he had a, a really great team around him. Other franchise quarterbacks have not been able to do it alone. Now, I know Brady's better than those guys, right? But still, you, you need a lot of help. It's a team sport. Well, I mean... I, 
nobody exemplified that better, I think, than the Patriots and Brady. I mean, we talk about it all the time. We had a 10-year gap, a full decade of uh, of coming up short, you know, without Super Bowls here in New England. And a lot of that, you know, it wasn't because Tom Brady wasn't a good quarterback. It wasn't because Bill Belichick wasn't a good coach. It was because we really didn't have the the horses that year. If anything, that was a time period where as Patriots fans, we accused the Patriots of being a little complacent, right? Maybe getting a little bit right. too comfortable um, with, with the success and, you know, maybe costing us in a couple seasons where, you know, a few extra pieces would have, would have pushed us over the edge. But I think that speaks to your point perfectly where when we put a caliber, you know, championship caliber roster around the Patriots and Tom Brady, we were either winning or competing for a Super Bowl every year. When we got right. complacent in the roster suffered and we didn't have the pieces in place, you know, even with Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, uh, it, it didn't happen. So I think that that just, you know, goes to point your, make your yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, they, and, they, and like Belichick did a great job in that second yeah. phase of the dynasty for building that team. And like people just glance over it. And like I said, I, I was an outspoken critic. Anyone that's listened to this podcast knows that I've been all over Belichick the last couple of years. I think way ahead of where most people were, where I was talking about the Belichick doomsday clock in like the 2022 off season. I think you thought I was crazy. And I think a lot of people did at the time, but you know, all that said, that's just because he reached a point where his methods didn't work anymore. And his way of looking at things, his philosophies, it all became antiquated, maybe just like a player his skills started to diminish in some ways. Like, I don't think that's impossible either. And it just wasn't working anymore, but it's a big difference to say a guy is, it never was versus a has been honestly. And like to people to say that Bill Belichick is, it never was. That is the definition of revisionist history. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, couldn't, couldn't agree more. And you know what? I really, I, I think that's going to be a good way to tell who's a, who's an actual football fan and who's an actual Patriots fan or not. Because to me, if I hear somebody saying that, that Bill Belichick was nothing, that just tells me they, they really, they really weren't paying attention for the last two decades. Well, watch, watch the dynasty. And I think you'll see it on full display yeah. that they just the, the brilliant job he did at the start of this thing to get them off the ground at a time when Brady was absolutely not the GOAT. And, and and they still were, able, you know, that 2001 team and the job he did in those early years, I mean, it, it was nothing short of miraculous and masterful. And I wrote a great thing on our Facebook page about that, by the way. So, and, and a lot of people liked it and, and commented and sharing. So thank you for all that. But check that out too. All right, let's move on. We got to talk a lot about what's going on in the off season in Foxborough. So I, I just want to start um, with, with this, Justin, and, and, and we can get into this whole off season piece because I'm going to put this right out there right now. I am just so concerned about the direction of this franchise. And I look at just everything, you know, the lack of talent on this roster. They have huge holes. Um, I think the coaching staff they brought in, I'm trying to grade it on a curve. We're going to get into it higher by higher in a few minutes. But overall, I'm kind of meh about it. You know, they didn't they didn't bring anything in that wowed me. I don't know what to make of Gerard Mayo. And I, I heard someone else say this. And I, I've had the same thought, and I'm going to say this here. I think Gerard Mayo is the guy that's going to be super successful in his second coaching stint. But I'm worried about his first one because I don't know if he has experience. Overall, I just feel like they're going into this season as probably one of the two or three worst teams in the league. And, and, and I guess my point is, <clears throat> this is a massive rebuild, and I'm just super concerned about where this franchise is right now. Yeah, I... 
I, I I know we saw some positives in in the defense last year, and I know we kind of you know even when we had competent quarterback play, we 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 looked like a team that that could compete and and find a way to win games. Um, but it, it is a very real possibility that this team takes steps backwards before they they take any more steps forward, right? And I mean, like I saw the I, I looked through the list of hires. Um, and I know like nobody to your point, nobody stood out like stood off the page in a good or a bad way. Like it it right. seemed like a lot of and maybe that's Mayo's plan, right? Like it seemed like there was a lot of like guys on there who I don't know, for lack of a better term, would be like trying to prove it or make a name for themselves, right? And maybe like yep. that's that to me is maybe like what Gerard May it was all about. Like maybe he's all about like giving like young, hungry people a chance to like work hard and prove it. Maybe he adheres to the philosophy that like the hungriest people will work the hardest. And, you know, maybe he didn't want to bring any big names that would, you know, overshadow him or or maybe his mentality or his philosophy. And he just wanted to bring it a bunch of bunch of young, hungry, like people ready to prove it, ready to buy into a system. And it looks like that's what he's setting himself up for. Um and who knows? I mean, I hope he's successful, but there's definitely reason to have question. I mean, I just like, I feel like I'm hearing a lot of like, I don't know, like corporate, like jargon speak coming from Mayo and for the organization, like words like synergy and, and unity and like, you know, um, echo chamber, which he used in a press conference. Yeah, right. Yeah. And like these things that like, it's just like corporate mumbo jumbo. And I'm like, is this guy does he really know what he's doing? Is he going to know what he's doing in like October and like a big game in week six when it's like third and seven and you know, it's some bizarre situation. Like, I don't know. And I don't know who's on the staff really that I feel like hundred percent confident is, is, is capable of providing that expertise. So like, I just see this as like a big learning curve for, for a lot of them down there. Yeah, it, the the only name that I stood out to me as being familiar was uh was Ben McAdoo, right? And he yeah. he had his like his flash in the pan right for a season with the Giants, and then he was he was quickly moved on from. But I mean, everybody else like I didn't recognize a lot of the names and um, a lot of younger guys, yeah. like younger coaches without without huge pedigree, and and, and it's like it's all fine, but it's just like who, who's the experience? Like, isn't this a game of like where isn't this a situation where like expertise, experience counts? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Let, let's go. Let's go through some of these hires, Justin. Let me give you your thoughts on a couple of them. You just mentioned one name, Ben McAdoo. Before we get to him, let's get let's start with the offensive coordinator, Alex Van Pelt. Um, my take on this is look like. <laughs> I'm grading on a curve here because we have to remember, and we were on the other side of this for two decades. Everyone wanted to be in New England when Brady was here. Belichick had a part of Dynasty players, coaches. They all wanted to come to Foxborough. That's over now. That's over now. Like we're, it's the complete opposite. This is not a desirable job. This is this could be like career. This could be the kind of job that could set a coach's career back. Right. Because what are you coming into a, a huge talent, no quarterback and an inexperienced head coach. So what offensive coordinator is going to want to be here? And I think that's why they had such a hard time filling this job. Right. And I think they interviewed like 10 or 11 people before they got to Van Pelt. So with the difficulty they had finding someone and the the um, the lack of, frankly, desirability of this job, I actually think Van Pelt was a good hire because he's got experience. He's experienced developing quarterbacks. He's been around for 10 years. Okay, look, he's not, 
you know, he's not, um, you know, a, a Super Bowl pedigree, Kyle Shanahan or Sean McVay, fine. But but he's he's an experienced, good coach that seems to have done a good job last year. So I actually, I give that a, a pass. Like, I thought that was a good hire. On a curve, a pass. Yeah, uh, I, I didn't know a ton about him either. But after I read about him, I have to say he was one of the, the only one of the coaches that I did kind of read a little bit into. And uh I kind of had the same feeling. I I, I was kind of cautiously optimistic when when I read about him a little bit. It seemed like he uh, he may have some of like the tools and some of some of like the experience that like we would need in New England. And uh, it, 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 it correct me if I'm wrong. He's kind of from that McVeigh coaching tree that that branch, right? That that kind of he's philosophy. more West Coast offense. It's a totally different system, which I think is is probably needed. I think they need a totally different offensive for sure but it, it, I, but like that's kind of to to the point of like what we've been saying before is like the patriots need to like modernize like their offensive philosophy they kind of need to um they need to get up to speed with what the rest of the high-powered offenses are are, are doing and yeah. um i and we use somebody like sean mcveigh and some of those younger coaches out in the west coast as like perfect examples so you get somebody from from the sean mcveigh tree and and you know you hope that all right this is gonna be the change we've been begging for in the new england offense i mean i'll put it this way like you know Alex Van Pelt was not where I thought this thing was going to land when they started. And he certainly wouldn't have been anywhere near my top choice, but given the way like things went down on this, and I think you'll agree with this, they could have done a lot worse than Alex Van Pelt. <laughs> and if that, that alone makes me a little happy about yep. it being, I feel like it could have been much worse, you know? Yep. Yep. Totally. They're kind of like picking from the bottom of the barrel. It's just the reality of the situation right now. Okay. Um, similarly thoughts on Ben McAdoo again, like not someone I would have said they should be coveting at the start of this whole thing, but he he has experience and he has experience as a head coach. And I believe you tell me if I'm wrong, he's the only coach on this coaching staff right now that has actually been a head coach at the NFL level. Is that right? From what I think that's right. I believe so. From, from, from what I saw, unless some get, yeah, unless there's something we're missing. Unless I'm missing something, right. right? Like no one else has, you know, DeMarcus Covington, you know, I mean, some of the other guys they have, I'm trying to think through the 17 coaches they have. Yeah. I think Ben McAdoo was the only guy that's actually done the job. Yeah. So I like that they brought in someone that actually has done the job. So, hey, Gerard, you know, when I did this in New York, this worked. Or when I did this in New York, it didn't work. And, and some experience. So I like that. And I like that he's a guy that his strength is developing quarterbacks and drafting quarterbacks. And obviously he's famous for wanting the Giants to have taken Pat Mahomes. And he's famous for the for for, for ranking Josh Allen the top player in that draft. So, you know, overall, I, I think McAdoo was a good hire too. Yeah. I I, I actually, you know, I know he he kind of it was short-lived in uh in the Meadowlands, but I kind of thought that was like a hasty fire. Like I was kind of surprised the Giants moved on from him as quickly as they did. If I remember correctly, like he had a pretty good first year, um, and it looked like he he might he might have some uh, some promising uh, time there in in New York, and not, you know things went south. But yeah, I I actually looked at Ben McAdoo, and I I didn't mind that either. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, you know, it's like not like in in January you were like, oh man. We got to get rid of Belichick so we can bring in Ben McAdoo. But right. I, I mean, I just think you have to grade on a curve at this point. And like, at yeah. least the guy's got some experience. And well, let's face it: what's the biggest need on this franchise right now? It's a quarterback. Yeah. So you got a guy that that knows a little bit about coaching and developing quarterback. Maybe he's a lousy head coach, but he knows a little bit about drafting and developing quarterbacks. I feel like that's an asset. Um, it looks like 
you know, from all indications, Justin, that Elliot Wolf is, is, is going to be the de facto GM and really have all the final decision-making both in terms of constructing the roster and, and the staff um, in the front office. What are your ta- what thoughts on Elliot Wolf being the man? I, again, like, I actually kind of like it. I, obviously, I'd rather someone with more experience, but at the same time, I feel like Elliot Wolf at least has some skills. Now, he's a guy that has to take that next step, but it's not like... I mean, I don't know. He's got some kind of resume. And I feel like given the situation, that's all you can hope for. I mean, I think at this point, I would rather some guy like, I would rather somebody like him that shows promise in their, you know, their upside is kind of a mystery, right? Like we don't really know what to expect. We know that like, you know, there's some reasons to be positive, but there's, there's still a lot of question marks and there's still a lot of unknown. I think I would rather take the unknown upside of somebody who's who's showing promise at this point, then uh, bring in somebody who's been average or mediocre somewhere else. I mean, there's not a ton of, uh, you know, high quality um, GMs in the market. I mean, GMs that that consistently win Super Bowls and build championship rosters right. aren't just floating around out there, right? That, so, that's exactly right. And Elliot Wolf has had some success in roster building in, in, in two places. Right. So, so I, I look at that and I say, okay, I would rather take the ups, you know, the, the, the unknown shot on, on his upside than bring in somebody who's, you know, been kicking the can around the league for a few years or for however long. Absolutely. And just one other thing too, and I hate to say this, but, but he's not Mac Rowe. And I, I'm sorry, like from what I've seen the last few years, I don't want Mac Rowe to be the final decision maker on their personnel stuff. Like, I, I mean, maybe macro is the victim of Bill Belichick's bizarre ways of picking players and, and was really just kind of uh, caught up in, in, in the dysfunctional way Belichick did things. But it didn't feel like that at those press conferences when, when Macro was at the forefront kind of defending some of these draft picks like Tyquan Thornton and Cole Strange that ended up being not very good draft picks. I feel like Grow was a huge part of, 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 a, of a failing front office in the, in the final years of Belichick. So I did not want him to be the per- final say. So, hey, any port in a storm, right? And I'll take Elliot Wolf. It's like an up-and-coming guy with some experience any day over what Macro, uh, you know, is. I agree. And I think also, too, I look at it and I say, hey, if you are, if we are going to clean house and rebuild and start from the from the bottom up and, and, and get the foundation right, I mean, I don't think you can selectively choose who from the previous ad- administration stays and goes. I think you really do need a clean slate, especially when Bill is 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 the guy who who you know falls falls on his sword, so to speak. I don't think you can keep keep the old uh, GM around. I I, I kind of love the fact that he's gone too. I think if you're going to clean house and bring in as many new faces as they are, I think it needs to be a completely new start, at least for the most part. At least yeah, at I mean, that level, well, at least was- at the GM level. I would say. Yeah, I mean, Gro is still on the staff, but he's not going to make the final decision. Right. That that's that's good enough for me <laughs> right now. Right. All right, and let's let's talk a little bit, Justin, about um, the um, let's talk about the Belichick thing because we haven't um, to this point even discussed um, Bill Belichick and the, kind of the huge story that he did not get a job. The last time we discussed the Patriots. The Atlanta Falcons job, a couple of these jobs were still open. It looked almost like a fate day complete that Belichick was going to end up in Atlanta. Um, now he looks like 
pretty certain that he's not going to be employed in the NFL in 2024. No one should be surprised that Belichick didn't get a job. I'm sorry. The only thing you should be surprised about is that one of these moron owners, okay, didn't fly off the handle and get starry-eyed and gaga over Belichick's name and bring him in. That's what I'm surprised about. Because anyone that looks at it rationally, okay, would have major reservations about bringing this guy in. He's had four years. That was a total nightmare the last four years. He's like 73 years old. Okay, he's abrasive. He doesn't deal with the media. He doesn't relate to young players. Um, he, you know, his his drafting has been abominable the last four years. I would have major concerns if I was an NFL owner about giving my franchise to this guy. So I am 0% surprised that he didn't get a job. Again, the only thing I'm surprised about is that no one was stupid enough to give him a job. You know, I, I, I kind of agree. I, I'm actually pretty surprised that nobody bit. Um, you know, I, I don't think that it's a done deal, so to speak. Like, I mean, you know, you never know what could happen. Um, but I, I, I gotta say, I really did think Bill Belichick's name in free agency would, would definitely create some hype, create some buzz, at least for the reasons you just said, if not for anything other than bringing Bill Belichick in. Um, and I, I, I am really surprised. I don't know if, you know, I, maybe there, maybe there really is, you know, more problems under the hood and, and maybe Robert Kraft, I don't know, maybe Robert Kraft's had a few talk, a few talks with some of the owners and, and maybe he hasn't had the most glowing review or the most glowing opinions. I don't really know, but I, I definitely think it's weird that Bill Belichick, um, isn't interested in, 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 or nobody's, nobody else is interested in him. I mean, I could also see Bill being very like, you know, I, could you see Bill entertaining stuff that, you know, he wouldn't even consider? Like, I feel like Bill, when he left New England was probably like, there's one or two spots I would take a call with. And if not, don't even bother reaching out. Like, you know what I mean? Like I could see Bill being that type of guy. I mean, and it might be a little bit of that, you know, because like, does, does Bill Belichick have a list of demands that are unbefitting of his performance the last four or five years and what the market really is for him. Like, is there owners that might've taken a chance on Belichick onto the right terms and conditions? And, and the reality is those are terms and conditions that Belichick was not going to agree to ever. And I think that might be what happened in Atlanta where like, look, you know, blank might've loved to hire Belichick, but it had to be, under a certain set of conditions. And I think Belichick probably went into that second interview and was like, this is what I want. This is what I want. This is what I want. And they were just too far apart. And so they both walked away. And I think they, it, when that happens, they can both kind of point the finger at the other and say, well, Hey, you know, they wanted me, but I didn't want it there. Or, you know, he wanted to be here, but we didn't want him. They can both kind of say that, but I think that's really kind of what's happened. I mean, it, you know, the thing that to me is, is I guess a little striking or, or shocking, right? Is, you know, look, there were a couple good coaches, uh, and one of which I correct me if I'm wrong is Mike Vrabel still doesn't have a home yet either. Right. He didn't get a job either. Right. No, he did not Mike Vrabel didn't get a job either, which thoroughly shocks me. Absolutely shocks me. But, you know, I, I, I look at it and it's like almost like an insult to injury. 
I'm not saying, you know, Raheem Morris won't be a good coach or I'm not saying he doesn't have potential, but I mean, when you think about it, I mean, they basically turned down Bill Belichick for an unproven, I believe, what is this his first or second? Is this his second stint? Second. Yeah, second stint second as a head stint, coach. Yeah. I mean, it's a second stint as a head coach because the first one didn't go great, right? So, I mean, think about the statement they're making. It's not like they turned down yeah. Belichick for 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 a Vrabel or, or or somebody else that we consider to be right. a you know a, a high Dream caliber Harbaugh candidate. Right, yeah. right, right. You know, so I, again, it, I think that even reveals another layer of depth into into the complexities of, of, of what's going on right now. Yeah, it, it is. It's like, it, it is. It's hard to believe that they went with Raheem Morris over, right. over Bill Belichick. It's it's hard to believe, but I think that just says a lot. Like, and, and I mean, again, like you have to look at the last four years and just what an unmitigated disaster. We just spent the whole first segment of the show talking about how masterful and brilliant Belichick was for so long. And he was. But the last four years were a disaster. They were a disaster. And like, I'm sorry, like you go on a run like that, it takes some time to rebuild your reputation. And to the point you just brought up, you know, Mike Vrabel, I think is a guy in the prime of his coaching career, um, didn't get a job this year, right? Well, a lot of times you look historically and these coaches do take a couple of years before they land in that second spot. Maybe they go be a coordinator. Maybe they go on television. You know, something else opens up, they rebuild their reputation and they move on with their career to the next stint. Okay. The thing with Belichick, it's 72, 73 years old. He doesn't have that luxury to go onto TV or to go be a coordinator somewhere. Like that's not going to happen with him. And it's like the clock is ticking. So I'm wondering if he really might be done as a head coach. And I think he's probably got one more year, one more window if he wanted to be a head coach this year to, to start in 2025. And I think beyond that, the window might close for him. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it really might. And, uh, I mean, I, you know, I, uh, well, here's the thing, what is gonna, I mean, the only thing that I guess could change is the team gets more desperate, right? I mean, like what, what really is going to change over the next year? Like, you know, Bill Belichick was available. Nobody's interested in him. Um, I just can't see all of a sudden over the course of the next season, you know, all of a sudden now there's a bidding war for Bill Belichick, right? Like it might, he might just like save him. I don't know. He he might just like save himself the embarrassment and and kind of hope he fades off into the sunset. I don't know. Do you, do you, do you think that'd be good for Bill Belichick to kind of keep think, himself I think out? he should retire. Yeah. I think he should retire. I think he should walk off on his terms. He, he doesn't need to do anything to validate or prove his legacy to my mind. I think when time passes, History will remember him as being one of the best coaches ever. The damage that's been done to his legacy the last four years, he can't erase that. He's not likely to erase that going and starting in another program at 73 years old. I'm sorry. Like in his mind, he might think he's going to go set up shop somewhere else and like win two Super Bowls and, 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 and erase all the damage that was done to his legacy the last five years. But the reality is it's much more likely that he'll just end up doing more damage to his legacy because I don't think it's likely. I mean, it's hard to be successful, especially restarting up. So I think the best thing for him is just to retire. Yeah. The the only caveat I would say is if, you know, there was some sort of like plug and play roster that was ready to go, you know, the, a, yep. like a, an Eagles, uh, 
you know, a, a, a Cowboys, a, a roster like that, that you could say, hey, with somebody like Bill Belichick, this this can be just as much of a contender as anybody. I mean, I so I will say, you know, I, I'm not holding out hope that a team like that could come knocking. But if you're not a team that's a, a head coach away from being able to compete and, you know, there aren't a ton of them out there. Um, then you know I, I don't know I would say it, it it it'd be very bleak in terms of what what your prospects are for for bringing in Bill Belichick at this point. Agreed. Now now I will say this though, and we talked a lot about how like maybe none of these jobs open this year were really ideal fits for Belichick. But if you really like kind of imagine some of the jobs you know the scenarios that might play out in 2024 and some yeah. of the jobs that might potentially be open next year. There are some pretty like sexy possibilities, oh, yeah. like Philadelphia, Dallas, the Giants, the Jets. Those are all jobs that could like potentially be open. Like, I mean, it's a very realistic chance yeah. that, that things don't go well for Brian Dable this year. And the possibility of Bill Belichick dangling out there might entice the Giants to take a chance on Belichick. And wouldn't that be just like an amazing story and, and way to end his career, at least at first? You know, but like the jobs are just like much sexier batch of potential openings for 25. Yeah. 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 I, especially like, look, you would have to think the, a couple of those teams, like you mentioned, their coaches are really in the hot seat, right? Like I can't imagine a lot of those coaches barring a, a Super Bowl victory or appearance being in the same position they are for the 2025 season, right? Like you got to, you'd have to imagine like McCarthy, Sirianni, like, um, Salah, like all the guys you mentioned. How about Mike Tomlin? He was a little on the hot seat this year. Yeah. Right. Could that job be there? I mean, there's there's an amazing possibility. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No. So look, if Bill can, if Bill can, you know, kind of, stay healthy and, and, and keep himself together. And, you know, maybe look, maybe he takes a, takes a year off to like, you know, get him, get himself right. And, you know, take some time off de-stress, you know, re re kind of commit himself to the game for, for the next couple of years. And, and maybe he comes in, he slots himself into a, a championship caliber roster and, and who knows what happens, but, but yeah, other, other than that, I just, I, I really hope he, uh, he doesn't kind of do himself any more damage at this point. Well, well, that's the thing, though. And I think you brought this up a couple episodes ago and you're spot on, which is like the mentality of someone versus Bill Belichick versus like a regular normal person. Right. And like a normal like, person is going to look at this and be like, look, I've accomplished so much. Why am I going to do this to myself at 73 years old? Bill Belichick doesn't think like that. Right. Like he has a totally different psyche in his mind. He thinks he can do it. He thinks he's, you know, the ego the drive, the ambition, it's all still there. He wants to to take on. So while I think he should retire, I'd be shocked if he does. Yeah. Yeah. I, I yeah, I agree. I think uh, I think it'll be very interesting. Like you said, um, 2024, probably not so much. I think a lot of the windows have closed, but but hey, 2025, look out, Bill Belichick could be back. Yeah. All right. Absolutely. It, it's gonna be interesting. And 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 the other thing for this whole season, and you can mark this down right now. Every time a coach gets remotely on the hot seat, especially in any halfway decent situation for yeah. any franchise, oh, right? Yeah. You know, Philadelphia is five and four. Buffalo starts off two and three. Whose name is going to be brought up? Of course. It's going to be Bill yeah. Belichick hanging over everyone. And it's going to, that's going to be interesting, right? When his yeah. name trickles out all year long. Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. And I, I would also be very interested to see, because um, don't forget, this is kind of the first time that Bill Belichick isn't tied to an organization, right? Like if Bill Belichick's name is at the at the center of the headlines and at the, the the football worlds, but he's not tied to a team, do we see a different Bill Belichick in 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 the media? Does you know what I mean? Like, is this a Bill Belichick that all of a sudden comes out of his his shell a little bit? Right. I don't I don't know, but it it would be very yeah. interesting to see how a unemployed Bill Belichick handles being in the in the spotlight and all that attention. Absolutely. You know, and you, ra- you bring up something that I wanted to mention. We were talking about the dynasty. It was like, God, I wish they interviewed Bill Belichick after he was fired because mm. I think he would have said so much more at, without any kind of obligation at, at, that, at this point to the crafts. You know what I mean? Like, I feel right. like even though he's Bill Belichick, he still has a boss. He still has to answer to his owner. He still has an obligation to the franchise he works for. Like now, with Belichick being completely untethered, like what's an interview going to look like in a documentary like the dynasty? What What's it going to look like if he goes on Fox or CBS and says what what's on his mind? We've never seen that Bill Belichick before. We haven't in a long time. Right. Yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, let's talk a little bit, Justin, about the 2024 off season in terms of some um, specific things coming up. And I do want to say it's February 20, 20th today, I think. And free agency opens on March 13th. So mark your calendars for that. That's the legal uh, tampering period, which is always a super exciting time. Um, a couple of takes I, I want to say about this. Number one is, I think it's a total BS narrative that Robert Kraft doesn't want to spend money. And I, I don't understand why people can't wrap their heads around the fact that it was all Belichick. Belichick had total control of this organization, and that included spending the money. So this March 13th, I think we're going to see a very different approach to the Patriots franchise. You know, you look at 2021 when Belichick asked Kraft to open up his wallet. He did. It didn't really work out, but they spent. You can go back to the late 90s. Kraft's a criticism of Robert Kraft was that he spent too much money. Willie McGinnis, Lawyer Malloy, Ted Johnson, Terry Glenn, Drew Bledsoe, um, Ty Law. He signed all these guys to huge contracts. So I think that Kraft will spend money when he's called upon to spend money, when, when, the, when his football professionals ask him to do that, I expect we're going to see the Patriots be aggressive come March 13th. I mean, I hope so, because not only have we not been aggressive at spending our money, but it feels like recently we've invested our money in all the the wrong places. I mean, some of the deals that we've given out, some of the people that we've given contracts to, um, you know, it, it, I think it left both of us baffled. I would I, I would really be interested to uh to see what happens. Oh, you didn't you know, think Nelson Aguilar was a good move? Nelson, oh my god, freaking Nelson Aguilar. I mean, you know, Devontae Parker getting uh getting a three year deal. I mean, it's just dude, Riley Reef and what was Calvin Anderson getting like yeah. fourteen million dollars. I mean, yeah, yeah <laughs> it, it was awful. It, it you know what I mean? And in in and you look at you look at some of those signings. And you just ask yourself, you know, you're willing to give the money here, but you're not willing to give the money there. Just a lot of the situations didn't make sense. I mean, look, I would, this is also exciting because to your point, I don't know a a Patriots organization that will go out and and spend big money on big, you know, big players and and, and sign big deals and and, and bring big names. You know what I mean? Like I've never seen that. That Patriots, you've never experienced. You know, I, I've never, I've never yeah. experienced that. And you know, for the for the longest time, I never even really cared about it because it was almost like 
It was almost like when we were winning Super Bowls and we weren't doing that, it was almost like an extra badge of badge of honor. It was like, oh, look at all these 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 guys getting their big contracts, all these team, you know, you know, throwing dumb money at these 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 you know singular players or or whatnot, and 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 you know they're not having nearly half the successes we're having as an organization. But now now I'm ready. I'm ready to see the big money come out. I'm ready to bring some big names into New England. I think like it's key to like rebuilding the the franchise rebuilding the reputation like again like you need people to be able to want to come to new england and 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 the cycle has to start somewhere and maybe that it starts with with opening up the wallet and bringing in some players who will reestablish a a winning culture and and attract other people to want to come here and play with them um and uh, yeah it would be real nice to to be able to say hey you know we got a good player in new england we're not just going to you know, let him go once his rookie deal's up, right? Oh, we we hit on somebody. He's gonna I, be honestly like that was a that was a criticism. Kraft got a lot of criticism in the late nineties because I mean he was a fan who bought the team in nineteen ninety four, and throughout the nineties they would draft guys, and and they would not let these guys go. And, and like he signed guys to top of the market contracts, like Ted Johnson, you know, Lawyer Malloy, Tyler. I could go on. I mean, Kraft is gonna Kraft is gonna spend money when what. That you know, I think when when he will like, I can promise you, like he spent a lot of money in the late nineties on, on on his own players and in free agency. Yeah, so I think yeah, I think it'll be super interesting. Um, and God knows we have plenty of holes, right? Plenty of holes to fill. So plenty uh, holes in a ton of cap. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's going to be super interesting. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it just be crazy if it was more the same? Like, like, wouldn't that be nuts if it was just, if it was just, we weren't spending, like we didn't bring in anybody like, you know, Mayo yep. was super concerned. It would be nuts. Like, and then, you know? and then look, as far as I'm concerned, if that happens, then people can criticize Robert Kraft. Then yeah. it's fair game. Yeah. Then it's fair game. Then you got to point the finger at Kraft and say, and say, well, what are your intentions? You really want to win right. because, you know, but, but I really feel like you, you know, until, until this year. It, Belichick's influence in the organization was just so powerful. He was everything. So, so, so let's, let's, let's see what happens this year. And if they don't go out and spend this year, then I think you can point your finger right at Robert Kraft. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Let's talk about a few other things for the off season um, that, that I want to bring up um, report from Dan Graziano last week. Patriots are going to trade Mac Jones supposedly before um, the draft this year. Your thoughts on trading Mac Jones, Justin? Uh, is there any place for Mac on this team in 2024? No, I don't think there's any place for Mac. And if I was Mac, I wouldn't want there to be a place for for, for me here. Like, I think you, uh, I think it's the best thing for for both parties involved is just a a clean break. I mean, hell, I can't imagine we'd get anything for him. Like, you know, maybe a bag of balls. I can't imagine what somebody's gonna gonna wind up. Uh, you know, well, Trey Lance got what a fourth. I mean Trey Lance, yeah, you know you got a you got a fourth for Trey Lance, I, but I mean, well, what are you buying with Trey Lance? You're buying upside, right? Right. Does Mac Jones have any upside to buy? Like, I mean, I, I think Mac will have some trade value, but I mean, don't, I think that's the big difference between Trey Lance and Mac Jones. That's that. I mean, that's what I mean. Like, what what are you uh, what are you buying into? Um, as far as far as far as Mac Jones, like you're buying into a guy who's completely unproven hasn't been able to do anything um i mean look that i don't know i don't know what you'd get for him but again i'll take i'll take anything i'll take a six round pick for that guy um 
over over bringing him back. I just don't think he has a place in the team. I think, you know, it's yeah. and, and and again, like I said, I don't think he should want a place in the team. I think for him the best thing he could hope for is a clean start. And ironically enough, it's coming at a time where there is, you know, a clean start coming in New England, right? He's he's got a he's got a new coach, a new head coach, new offensive coordinator, all that. But I just think uh I just think his place is in a different locker room. I think he needs to kind of build himself back into the good graces of the football world. Any organization jump out of you as a, as a good fit for Mac? For Mac? Uh, I would love to see San, Fran? San Francisco yeah. trade like a fifth or fourth round pick. If I was Kyle Shannon, I'd jump all over that. Yeah. Yeah. That would be, uh, that'd be, we, we use this term a lot, but I think that would be some poetic justice if Mac Jones ended up yep. in, uh, in San Francisco. Yeah. <clears throat> it, yeah. It would be. We fully circular because they wanted Mac or they almost drafted him. They took Lance. Yeah. They got a fourth round pick back for Lance. If they went and say traded that fourth round pick for Pac Jones, wouldn't that be like a perfect circle? Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. So what about Bailey Zappi? Trade or cut Bailey Zappi? Because to me, Justin, my take on this, I want a whole new quarterback. Whole new quarterback. I don't want Mac. I don't want Zappi. I want a veteran quarterback, a la Jacoby Brissett or Gardner Minshew. I want a high draft pick on a young guy, either somewhere in the first or early second round. And I want, and I want a whole new quarterback. Right? I want Mac or Zappy back. I got to be honest. I'm not like, if you get rid of Zappy, I'm not going to lose any sleep. But if you told me you wanted to keep Zappy around as, as, as maybe like a third string quarterback or, or maybe even, you know, a, a backup, I would, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. Yes. I would love a veteran in here, a combination of a veteran with with one of these rookies that you know we've been hearing a lot about. I think that would be ideal. Um, but if you told me you were keeping Zappy as like a third string guy, I I don't think I would hate it. A guy who's been in the system now for for two years, he's got some wins under you know wins and starts under his belt. I mean, I don't think you can discount that. I just don't. I just don't think Zappy has it. I think his attitude or his like, you know. His 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 swagger is so out of proportion to his role, and I just think it's a bad matchup. And I don't want that guy hanging around my young quarterback either. Whole new quarterback room needs to be needs to be the direction of the franchise. Just clean out house. And and I mean, look, guys like Bailey Zappi. I'm sorry, you can pluck them off trees. They're a dime a dozen in the NFL. Yeah, he's probably a you know this this 2015 free agents this year that would be better bridge or backup quarterbacks than Bailey Zappi is. So what are you keeping the guy around for? Move on from him, get rid of him, get rid of his attitude. Um, you know, he can go be the next Kurt Warner somewhere else, right? That's what he thinks he's going to be. And, um, and, 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 and the Patriots just have a total fresh start in the quarterback room. Yeah. All right, Justin, what about this one? Um, any interest in Baker Mayfield, Simon Baker Mayfield? I mean, I, I can't imagine him leaving Tampa Bay. I mean, last I've heard there there's mutual interest for both parties to to stay in South Florida, but I you know, I, I wouldn't want to bring Baker in as a starter. Let's say that. I would bring Baker in. Okay. I'd bring Baker in as like that veteran backup role. But like yeah. I just you know what you get with Baker Mayfield. Like you know what you get. Like at the height of Baker Mayfield you get a team that can maybe, if they're lucky, get to a divisional round, like absolute peak, get to like a like a, a championship round. Like you, Baker Mayfield is not a Super Bowl winning quarterback. I don't think there's there's still left under the hood to be discovered with him. I think I know what you you know what you get with Baker Mayfield, and that's a you know a, a, an average to sometimes slightly above average NFL quarterback. You'll be able to compete. He's tough. He's gritty. 
but um, I, I think his upside is is clearly defined in this league, in my opinion. See, see, I disagree. I I would love them to bring in Baker Mayfield, and if they okay. if they say if they sign Mayfield and then say drafted like a Michael Panix or Bonix or something in the early second round, like I think that would be a great plan forward. To me, if a guy is good enough to get you to the divisional round of the playoffs, that means he's good enough to win a Super Bowl. If he can get you that close, then, you know, he can get you that next step. Maybe you have to surround him with more talent, better pieces. But to be able to get that far, those guys don't just grow on trees. I'm sorry. And I think Baker Mayfield is a good starting quarterback in this league. Um, I think I think he's kind of got a raw deal in a couple different places. And it looks like he's going to be a free agent, unrestricted this year, because Tampa Bay is using their franchise tag on Antoine Winfield. I wouldn't hate it if they brought in Baker Mayfield. I, I feel like that would make them a better team. It would definitely make them a better team. I mean, look, I think Baker Mayfield and the Patriots last year, they're a wild card team. Yeah, I agree with that. They're, a, they're probably a lot like Tampa Bay was. Maybe yeah. not quite as good, but borderline, borderline wild card team. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Um, how about this? Trade Matt Judon. Yeah, it's Second you know you know they were pretty good without him, you know, coming down the stretch. They were pretty good without him. He is, I mean, I guess, you know, I would say kind of on the tail end of his prime, right? Is he's he's what? Thirty one. Like 30, yeah, thirty one during this year. So I mean look it's got a big cap number. Yeah, I and and you know, they do got some good talent on that defensive line. I mean you could, you certainly could try to try to trade him. I think that's one of those those moves that on the surface it sounds like, oh, what are you doing? But I I do think when you when you think about it, um, I think there'd be some benefits there for sure. I think you but I don't know, like do you think do you think second round is like the cap? Do you think I don't know, he's one of the best defensive ends in the league. You, you think you could get a first for him? No, I don't think there's any way. I think you'd be lucky to get a second for him. Yeah. I'll put it this way. If someone if someone offered me a second round pick for Matt Judon and I was a Patriots, I'd do it in a second. Get that cap number off your books and, and get another draft asset that you can rebuild with. You've got Keon White. You've got a couple other good young players in that position. Your defense was pretty good without him. I mean, he's a great player, but this is a total rebuild. You know, let him go play for a contender somewhere and and and, and take the draft pick and move on. You know, the only thing that would bother me, though, um, I guess, about this this young defense is, uh, and again, I know they, I know they were really good last year without him when he went down, but like. Who is the veteran leadership on that defense now, right? Like he's the guy that I look at as like the, the 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 staple. Like he's the veteran, he's the leader, he's he's clearly one of the best, if not the best player in that defensive squad. You know, you get rid of him, you just got a bunch of bunch of young guys out there. And I mean, sure, leaders may emerge, but I worry about not having that like staple veteran presence. What do you think? Right. Well, especially because I don't know if you saw them, they cut. Lawrence Guy and Adrian Phillips today, who are two other veteran guys that are not going to be on the team. So it's a fair point, but I just feel like it is time for a new generation to emerge. Like this, this team is, you know, I mean, come on. If they, if they're even near contention for a wild card spot in November or December, we're going to all be thrilled. Like this is a total rebuild. You need a new generation of leaders to emerge. I'm not hanging on to Matt Judon just because I feel like I need leadership on my team. That's probably going to go like five and 12 or six and 11. If, if we're lucky, like look, I, I'm totally ready to move on. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I wonder, go ahead. No, no. I was just going to say, I, I, I totally get it. If they moved on, I don't think it'd be the worst thing in the world. I think we'd still have a good defense. And uh, again, it just, I guess it just depends on what you do with the pick, right? Yeah. Well, that's, that's the key, but they see yeah. needs all the draft capital and assets they can get. Yeah. All right. How about this one? Use the franchise tag. And if so, on who that deadline is tomorrow. Um, they have not, uh, I think made an announcement on if they're going to franchise anyone to me, I'm using my franchise tag if I'm the Patriots and I'm using it on Michael Owen AU. Uh, if I can't sign him, they absolutely need to have Owen AU on this roster next year. They cannot let this guy go franchise tag him, sign him, whatever it takes, keep him here. But I would use the franchise tag on Owen AU if I didn't feel like I could sign him. Yeah. And if anything, I mean, who else, right? Like who else do you use it on? If not him, right? Like I'm going through Dugger. the list. I mean, Kyle Dogger, maybe. Uh, but you know, I'm, I'm going through the list of players in my head, and I'm like, you know, he, if he's not the number one guy you use it on, he's a hundred percent number two or three. I mean, there's just really not that many options. So, so yeah. And you look at you look at where we need the most help. I mean, the defense looked good. The secondary looked deep. I mean, your O line is is where you had some trouble. I think you got definitely got to prioritize them. Yep, I, I absolutely. And ONU is one of the highest rated free agents in the draft in the, in the class this year. And it's like, yeah. we're going to let this guy walk when we, we don't have anyone else on this team that can play tackle. Um, Trent Brown is now gone there. He's not coming back. I don't think we want Trent Brown back. I don't think the Patriots want Trent Brown back mainly because of his attitude and the way he carried himself coming down the stretch. This team needs someone that can play tackle. Michael Owenoyu is a good tackle. He's a great guard. Um, he's been a good Patriot. He's, 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 he's fitting well here. You gotta spend money to keep this guy. I'm sorry. If they move on from him, it'll be a huge mistake. Um, trade up in the draft, just should the Patriots trade up in the draft, right? From three to one. Uh, I've heard a little bit of this talk, you know, lately, and I'm like, man, like, I don't know. I mean, you know, these to move up even two spots in the draft, you have to give a ton of draft capital to get to number one. I, I would not want to trade up based on what I see. What are your thoughts? No, I, I don't want to trade up at all. I mean, I like, look, personally, I want one of two players. I want either, um, I want either Jaden Daniels or I want uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. And you can't tell me that one of the two of them won't be there at the third pick, right? I find it very hard to believe that both of them will be gone. And if they're both gone, then that means that there's a great player still there at number three for the taking. Right. So, uh, I think especially, um, you know, like we said, they do have some assets moving into some of the later rounds in the draft. You can always try to trade back up into the end of the first, maybe trade back up uh, and get another pick in the beginning of the second. But I think you stick with the the three. I think it, it sets you up in a decent spot that no matter what, there's going to be someone talented there that, that's going to be a difference maker on your roster. See, I think the Patriots on draft day are going to find themselves in like a leverage position. Because what's going to happen is Caleb, Caleb Williams is going to go number one. Okay, so either Drake May or Jaden Daniels is going to go number two. And you're going to be left at number three with two of the top four players on the board. And that's that's and that's Marvin Harrison Jr. and one of those quarterbacks. Right. And somewhere out there, there is going to be a franchise that has decided that that said player is the savior or the piece that they need. And they're going to trade you an exorbitant sum to get into that position to take that player. And when I look at this draft, 
the depth at several positions the Patriots have holes at, which is tackle and wide receiver at quarterback. I would say trading down is something they should really look at. They're going to be able, because they're in that third spot, they're going to have a lot of leverage and they could potentially get a King's ransom with that third pick. Trade it, trade down. You got holes up and down this roster. I wouldn't hate it. I think they need to get a quarterback somewhere in the first or second round. They'll have the draft capital to do it if they if they trade back and pick up a, a bounty for that third pick. You know, I, I I like your logic. I just have to say to play devil's advocate, right? I I think about People this. People hate and, it, by the way. People will go nuts if they trade down. Well, see, look, that's that, that's kind of my thing, right? It's not that you can't get value for that pick. I just look at it and I say, okay, my personal opinion is that Jaden Daniels is the steal of this draft as far as quarterbacks go. I think he's going to be the best quarterback from this draft class, right? And yep. I also think that Marvin Harrison Jr. is, um, without doubt, uh, a generational uh, player, clearly the best receiver in the draft class, an area that we need all the help that, that, that we can get, right? So I look at that and I say, you know, you may be able to get some good value. You may be able to use it to get some depth. But if you pass up on uh, a generational wide receiver, or if you pass up on the chance to get the best quarterback in the draft class as the third QB off the board, all right, is that really worth you know the 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 the, the value flip on 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 draft day? I don't know. I would it to me. I think both of those players could potentially have the chance to to be that big a difference makers for this franchise that I almost say, if either one of them is there, you, you, you take them and you live with the consequences. See, personally, like I like Marvin Harrison, but if I could pick up a couple of high draft picks and, and draft and end up with the guy from LSU neighbors or Roma Dunze, who I almost like just as much and, and, and gets, I'll take my chances with that over the high, the big name guy personally. And I think you just hit on something important, which is like, you love Jaden Daniels. And so you're willing to make that pick at three. You look at where franchises have been successful the last few years in the NFL. It's because they've identified that guy and they've gotten them right. right. Josh Allen to Buffalo, Justin Herbert to, to, um, to chargers, Pat Mahomes to the chiefs. None of those guys were even, I think the first quarterback taken off the board in any right. of those years, they were just identified as the right fit for that franchise and the guy. And I think that is really what it all comes down to. So, if the Patriots feel like the guy is in this draft, then they need to make sure that they're in a position to get them. Right. And that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the one of the guys that everyone else thinks is the guy. Maybe they love JJ McCarthy. Maybe yeah. they love Michael Phoenix Jr. Right. Whoever they think that person is go out there and get them because you know, that, that, that is the key, but it doesn't have to be a top three pick. Yeah, no, it, it, well, well, that's the thing. Look, if they if they think that the guy is somebody else, then then do that. I just think they're at the point now where if they think that there is a glaring talent that is within their reach, I don't think they're at the point that they can be passing up on on, on that type of talent. So again, where, yeah, wherever you know, wherever that talent may be, wherever they think it, you know, wherever they deem it appropriate to take them, that's fine. But if if whether that's at three or wherever i think they have to they have to get the guy because i think um there's just too many holes for for them to you know for them to not start to uh address but here's what i would say you have to love the guy right don't you be do the jets and, you do. And just take zach wilson because the jags got trevor lawrence exactly. and zach wilson fall don't be that you have to love the player 
if you're in that situation where you think, oh, this guy has upside, but we don't love him, then you trade back and you let someone else be the, the Panthers in, in, in trading their draft for the guy that isn't going to work. Well, and, and to be honest, that, and I, I, I might wind up eating my words on this, but that's how I feel about Caleb Williams, Drake May, um, Bo Nix. Like, I think those are right. guys, like, I, to me personally, I think those are guys that they're so, you know, highly hyped. But I just personally see them as 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 uh, as as Trojan horses, and I don't. I really don't think that um, you know if they're there at three, it necessarily means yeah. that you're getting a good deal, and you should take one of those guys. I think you you need to identify the difference makers, and for me, that's that's none of them. So if I I want, I'm wondering yeah. how what they're feeling. I'm wondering if they're thinking the same thing. But um, yeah, you got to identify the guy, and you got to get him. Well, let's just hope Elliot Wolf knows what he's doing, right? Because yeah, <laughs> he's going to be the one that makes that makes that call. And, right. and, and, you know, hopefully he gets good advice from Ben McAdoo, who famously loved Pat Mahomes, loved Josh Allen in the draft. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, let, let's hope they find that guy. But but it, it all comes down to that judgment. Okay, uh, two more topics, then we're going to wrap it up. Um, one other offseason topic, Justin. Draft Justin Fields. Uh, this my take on this. Very simple. I want nothing to do with Justin Fields. He wasn't successful in Chicago. He had reasonable, he had much better talent around him in Chicago than he's going to have in Foxborough if he comes here next year. Why does any, why do we want a reclamation project uh, as a quarterback, a guy that there are serious doubts about whether this guy can play at an NFL level. Now maybe he'll take that next step. Maybe he won't. I don't want someone else's leftovers. I haven't seen enough from Justin Fields to make me feel like he is a franchise worthy guy. And if the bears had seen that from him, they wouldn't be training him. Want nothing to do with Justin Fields. I'm totally in the same boat. I don't want anything to do with him. I think like he's right in that like perfect, like limbo spot where he, uh, he's like, he's like intriguing enough, but like, I, I just don't see enough potential that I would, I would want anything to do with him. You know what I mean? Like somebody is going to take the risk on him. Somebody's like going to bank on that yeah. athleticism. Somebody's like going to bank on like that breakout in a, in, in a change of environment with, with, with new coaches, new scenery, but I don't want that to be us. Um, and that's not, that's not where I'm putting my money. That's not like where I feel confident. So, you know, good luck to Justin Fields. I think he's shown flashes and he's shown the ability to be a good quarterback in the league, but, uh, new England isn't where I want to see him come try to put that all together. Yeah. But you look at his passing statistics and they are not good. They are not good. And I know he's a terrific runner, but I'm sorry. You still have to be able to pass the ball. You look at like a lot of the more mobile quarterbacks in the next generation, Mahomes, like Lamar Jackson is a terrific passer. People underrate how great a passer Lamar Jackson is. Um, Jordan Love is it showed he was a terrific passer. You still have to make your bread and butter on your arm. And Justin Fields really has not shown that. So I, I really think after three years, I, I would take him as a reclamation project or as a backup, but, but I'm not putting him as my franchise guy. I'm not drafting Marvin Harrison trading for Justin Fields and saying, let's go. We have, we have the next five years on lockdown. No, no, a- absolutely not. I mean, that would honest, if that was like, you know, I talked about how much I love Marvin Harrison Jr. But if that was your plan to bring him in and, and pair him with Justin Fields, uh, no, absolutely. I'd be, I'd be so out on that. All right. Last topic. Then we're going to wrap it up. Matt Slater retired officially today, Justin. I don't think that is a surprise because I, I'm sure, you know, I thought he was, we all thought he was going to retire Last year, he came back for this wretched 4-13 and season, which I kind of feel sorry right. for him and felt sorry for him all year. Yep. Um, 
you know, are they going to miss Matt Slater at all? I mean, I know this is a, you know, where are they going to miss him? Are they going to miss him on the field? Are they going to miss him in the locker room? Like, I don't think they're going to miss him on the field that much because I just feel like the kicking game is so marginalized right now. I, I think, and they have some other good special teams players. Like, I just feel like his impact is going to be negligible. But what about um, in the locker room? Will they miss him there? I mean, I think you definitely miss him in the locker room. I mean, I think this is a guy. Look, you know, we talked about the New England special teams as being a little bit shaky the last couple of years, right? We've also uh, we, we 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 we've also. Um, you know, talked about him as, is is being a guy that, you know, look, is one of the last holdovers from the dynasty era, right? Like we don't have many of those guys left on the roster. Um, so, you know, you hate to lose a veteran leader. You hate to, uh, to lose somebody who's a staple on a, on a, on a, on a unit that has been pretty shaky, that, that needs all the stability and, and leadership it can get. But by the same token, um, you know, look, I think, uh, I think this, the Slaters of the world are, or somewhat of a dying breed. I don't know. Like how, how, you know, in, 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 in today's NFL and moving into the future, like how many roster spots are going to be dedicated just to guys who do nothing but play special teams? Like, I don't know. Not many. Not you know? many. So, yeah. so he really is the last of a, of a dying breed. And uh, I, 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 I enjoyed him here in New England. I enjoyed his leadership. I always thought he was a character. Um, yeah. He's a stand up guy. Stand -up like guy. A, great, a great guy. I hope he makes the hall of fame. I mean, if he's the best, kick coverage person ever and supposedly special teams is a third of the game. I mean, you know, Hey, great. If we can get another Patriot in the hall of fame, I'm all, all for that. And I think he's a terrific guy, but I'll say right now, like there are like 10,000 things I'm concerned about with this roster and this franchise right now. And, and this isn't really one of them. Like, I just feel like this is, this is the time for Slater to move on. And, um, and I think the special team situation is the least of our worries with this franchise right now. Yeah, I, I I agree. I think we got bigger fish to fry, and uh, you know, look, I think if anything, it's just more of like a, it's 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 even just more symbolic the changing of the guard. It is, you know, it is, and uh, and hey, but look, look, we got some we got some good, you know, the Brendan Schoolers of the world, and and there's some of those guys out there that, uh, um, you know, I look, they'll they'll hopefully help step step in and and and, and pick up the reins, but but yeah, it's uh. The end of an era, and uh, I, I I enjoyed I enjoyed having them here, and like I said, I think it's um, even more symbolic. Not only the fact that the you know you have the the one of the last members of the dynasty kind of fizzling out, but also you have you know kind of a generational type of player in the sense that you're not going to see too many special teams experts in the future. Um, you know, I think it's just a lot of lot of symbolism with him leaving the Patriots. It is, I agree. I agree. And is there anyone on this roster besides David Andrews that's won a Super Bowl? I'm trying to think. I don't believe so. No. Yeah. I, I think I think not. So I'm, I'm oh, going to so go through the Ju roster. Juju. Juju. But oh, well, but they're not yeah. a franchise. But right, I mean, right. well, for that 2018 Patriots title, yeah. you know, yeah, I think, right. I think that there, there, there is like, there. I think Andrews might be the only player. Maybe, oh, Jonathan Jones, he won a ring, right? So Jonathan Jones won a ring. In 2018, I think Andrews won. I mean, th there's very few left right now. So, as I guess to your point, of what you're saying, like a changing right. of the guard, and really like the last vestiges of any connection to that that old um, Patriots dynasty, you know, really kind of evanescing now with Slater leaving. All right, brother. Anything final thoughts? We're gonna wrap it up, I guess. I think we we definitely went through the rundown of all the major uh, stuff going on with the franchise right now. 
No, no, that's it. It's uh, yeah. Here, here we are. We are at the uh, the waiting period, the waiting game. But uh, but yeah, we'll you make. Gotta go get a couch. Yeah. You gotta go get a couch. You're getting a couch yeah, delivered. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm moving. I got a couch being delivered. Um, what so time yeah. is the couch company? Do they drop it off? Yet? I think they might have already dropped it off. I got a Snapchat from my fiance while uh, we were recording, so I'm assuming the couch is in uh, in route. Nice, so. nice. You got to, you got to, you got to sit down on that couch tonight and really enjoy it. I hope so. I hope so. I need a, I need a good relax. So, yeah. Oh, wait till you have kids, buddy. Sure. Just wait till you have kids. I know. Yeah. Trust me. I know. Well, that's what I'm saying. Home, I mean, listen, if you have, if you had kids, let me tell you, by the time, if the couch got delivered at like five, by the time you get home at seven, there's already like three stains, yeah. like poop and ice cream and like apple juice. And it's already like half ruined. You, oh, and yeah. you never would even got to appreciate that. That's what having kids. Yeah. All right, brother. All right. Well, that's all the time we have. We're going to wrap it up. I want to thank everyone that watched or listened to the Dr. Football Podcast. Have a great, great, great week. We'll be right recorded in two weeks, I think, uh, as news and news drops and, and, and circumstances allow. We'll, we'll keep uh, on top of everything. Patriots uh, get us through the offseason and the start of free agency in a few weeks. Have a great week, everyone.